You know, for most of us, this is extraordinary to have so many people in such a small space. I mean, really, how often are we like this? Not very often. Look how beautiful and useful and graceful and there's plenty of room and it's all possible to make happen. And yet if we put ourselves in another context, I was in India and I was in a room that was half this size and 30 people showed up and it was like no problem. So we're used to having a lot of space around us and in different cultures, their spatial needs are very different. So if we put you know, two cushions together. In India, there would be eight people on that, on two cushions, you know? And that's like normal. So we get used to things being a particular way, and it seems like, well, that's, that's, it should be the way that it is. And it's just what we're used to. And, you know, we can change those, um, those ingredients a little bit. And, and, you know, and so if we travel and we notice that in different spaces there's more people and less space, you know, what that does to our feeling of comfort or feeling of closeness or feeling of community, all the rest of that. It's just an interesting point to observe. You know, in some ways, the practice of of meditation and radical aliveness is very simple. It's really um, a question of uh, settling into what's happening in the present moment and shifting from our tenacity in the way that we absorb to the content of what we're experiencing and have more sense of flow or freedom in the way we're relating to it. And, you know, because this is um, requiring the fullness of our whole mind-body process, it's not easy. So even though it's incredibly simple, It's not easy. And there's all kinds of things that we know in terms of, you know, what can trip us up and have us going down different, different avenues. Um, balance, relaxation, alignment are critical. And sometimes what happens in our meditation is, is that we have some kind of an idea of, um, wanting to get somewhere. And as a result of our desire to want to get somewhere, we're pushing or resisting what is. And so when we learn to relax, really relax, not just a little bit relaxed, but really relax, then that gives us an ability to register what is. And when we're attentive to what is, then there's more skillfulness in our ability to respond to it rather than to try and push through it or demand that it not be there or um, some kind of um, fight with life, you know, a battle. And, you know, the kind of stance is is that if I just push hard enough, I can get the universe to go the way I want it to. And I have probably... Well, next to my father, probably about as strong-willed person as I've ever met. Actually, I could I could outdo my dad. <laughs> and as strong-willed as I can be, I can't make the universe go the way I want it to go. And so, for me, there's been a long learning and learning. You know, when is the time to apply oneself and show up and make active effort? 
And when is the time to empty out, let go, and let it unfold? And part of that learning has to do with what am I actually trying to do? Okay? What is my, what is my goal? So, you know, we, we kind of have a feeling that, um, you know, with meditation we're supposed to grab, grab onto something and hold it. But you know, if I if I if I if I if I grab onto this and hold it, you know, it, I can't really hold it, you know, very steady. Especially if I put a lot of tension in my arms. But if I if I if I if I let it rest, in a way where I'm not actually resisting it, then it can actually be quite still. So one of the things that happens in the way that we apply our attention to an object of meditation is usually with too much effort. We're grabbing hold of it and we're holding on to it like that. And we don't realize that what we need to do is to hold hold it like this, with our hand open, letting it rest, with our arm in a relaxed resting place. We're not exerting an effort to hold it, but to balance with it. And so when I'm balanced with it, this is not exhausting. I could do this for a really, really, really long time. And it's still. My arm is still. My shoulder is still. The drink is still. It's all still. And so we need to learn how, when we're meditating, what we do with our effort. Because the way we are efforting also has an effect on what we're experiencing. This is not peaceful. Or still. It's actually quite uncomfortable. And it takes about half a second and I feel like, this feels terrible, you know? So then I think, well, you know, meditation sucks. Because <laughs> it feels terrible. <laughs> but when I do this, it's like, well, this is not a problem. And I can do this for hours. And it feels restful and peaceful and comfortable. So part of what we need to learn is to begin to tune and dial in to the quality of effort that we are making in how we are showing up for what's actually happening. You know? Are we in Amazon? Kind of... You know? Or are we showing up with full body, full heart presence, wanting to sense in and feel what is alive for us? Do we have this idea that, you know, wisdom is some kind of a laser sword, that if we just get it out and slice it, it's going to evaporate? Or do we have this feeling that what is needed is heartfulness to feel our way into something and sense it and that the quality of wisdom and compassion are actually joined? They're two sides of the same thing. I heard something just the other day. It was beautiful. Wisdom without compassion is ruthlessness. Compassion without wisdom is folly. So it's not a question of of bearing down on something with some kind of like a laser view so that our wisdom capacity is going to dissolve everything like some kind of a blinding light. But beginning to see how these two things come together, the clarity of seeing things and the heartfulness of feeling and showing up and being able to sense where there's resistance, relaxing into that, and the tenderness towards oneself, towards one, what is meeting, and towards the humanity of what we are sharing as we are in this process of waking up together. Now, I, I love meditation. I love it. Because there's something that happens in meditation that just is 
um, really allowing the whole of my whole mind-body system to come into alignment and congruence and to really feel like I can show up. But one of the things that I also notice with meditation is, is, is that with most kinds of meditation, it's not uh, a relational activity. It's something that we're normally doing on our, on our own. And yet, most of our lives, we're in relationship of one form or another, you know, in terms of communicating or talking or negotiating or sharing space or all the rest of that. And so in the same way, if our whole understanding of meditation is on sitting, then we have no connection with standing or walking or lying down. And if our whole association with awareness and mindfulness is about being silent and not engaging with others, then like 99% of our life is sort of like not part of our meditation. And it's a challenge because most of our life is about relating. So um, in the last few years, I've done a number of, of, of um, activities, practices, that are about stabilizing the qualities of meditation in the experience of relating so that we don't lose ourselves when we're talking with somebody, but we can actually hold that place of center and balance while we're speaking. And it's not the same as sitting by yourself but what it means is, is is that we don't need to look to only that experience of being by ourselves and in silence in order to get a feeling for how those qualities of meditation can be stabilized in a lot of our experience. And because, like, for example, living in Denver, which most people here are here, you know, then there's going to be not so many times when you can leave the city and go to quiet retreat spaces in order to have the immersion experience of of what that does and how powerful that is. But if we have the ability to bring what we did this morning into our capacity to stay present with each other when we're speaking, then that is very transportable everywhere we go. So what I'd like to do for the next hour and a half is to do an insight dialogue practice. And this is going to be a little bit challenging because there's so many of us in a small space. But what I'd like to do is to give the instructions and then have people spread out throughout the whole of this place so that we can use all of it. So normally with communication... There are huge numbers of habits and patterns and associations that get activated. And even just looking at another person, we have all kinds of expectations about how we are supposed to show up when we're looking at another person. And there's some kind of sense that there's going to be communication. Okay? We have, sometimes we think we need to fix. Sometimes we think we need to affirm. Sometimes we think that we need to be there in a particular way. And for many of us, as soon as there's any kind of relationship or communication, we lose our center and we absorb ourselves into the other person's field of what we see or hear them saying. Okay? And so from a 
perspective of mindfulness, we have got to learn how not to do that. We have to learn how to actually hold our own center and stay in our own body experience while we're speaking and listening to each other. And it's a huge change. I mean, it's much bigger than having this many people in this space in terms of what we're normally used to. Because normally what we're used to, as soon as we start talking, is to just fly with our normal habits and associations of what's expected, the speech. Okay? So what I'd like to do for the next hour and a bit is to guide us all in a very structured way of communicating with each other that begins to get some inroads around this process of communication. And for a couple of reasons. One is because if we have the capacity to stay in our own bodies, stabilize the qualities of meditation in the experience of communication, look at how many opportunities in our daily life we have to practice that. As opposed to the normal sense, which is is that what we're trying to do is to carve out some quiet time where we're not engaging with people. Okay? And, you know, people who are working long days, people who have many obligations, it's not so often that you can carve out chunks of time during the day where you're silent and sitting and quiet and not engaging with people. Okay? So the application is just that if we can understand how to do this with communication, we can do this everywhere. Which is really fabulous. Yeah. The other thing is, 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 is that, you know, everybody's looking at me. So I'm the queen, everybody gets to look at me. But I leave, and then when I leave, you have each other. But because you're focused on me, you don't actually get to see how important each other are in holding the space that makes it possible to find the support to do this. Yeah? So if I change the focus from being on me to you focusing on just what it's like with each other, then that's right in terms of beginning to get a sense of what is needed to begin to knit together a community that supports this kind of unfolding, which is huge, you know. So I don't mean to underrate, you know, the power of clear teaching or the power of example or the power of teachers. It's not like that. But to put it in proportion that the value of the community is at least as important. Yeah. And if we spend the whole day listening to what I have to say, then it would totally miss the opportunity of recognizing how incredibly supportive it can be to meet up with each other and have times where you practice speaking in mindful ways or just in talking about your own practice in ways that nourishes you. So, let's see here. Um, the speakers are there, but you can't hear them out there. Is that right? Okay. So, what I'd like to do is give instructions in here. Everybody in here, give instructions in here. See that everybody understands the instructions. And then to have you pair up and sit where you'd like. Okay, let's try that. First part of the instructions is to find a partner that you can partner with. Okay. And married people are not allowed to partner with each other. 
or domestic partners. <laughs> and part of the reason why is because there's so much association with the other person that it's not so neutral. Okay, not to say that it's not brilliant to do with domestic partners. It's brilliant to do with them, but learn with somebody that it's a little bit more neutral. Yeah. So pick somebody that's a little bit more neutral, somebody who's not a domestic partner, and you need to be sitting at the same level. So chair people need to talk with chair people, and floor people need to talk with floor people. Okay. So you need to pick a partner, and then the first thing that you need to do with your partner, and I don't know how many we are if there's going to be one group of three. So I don't know if we're even or odd. We're odd? We're very odd. (laughs) We're extraordinarily odd. (laughs) Okay, so one needs to have a group of three. So we need one group of three. And for I'm just going to give instructions if it's two and then the threes are going to have to share the time differently. So what's going to happen is is that for you pick who speaks first and then who listens first. So the person speaking first, okay, your meditation instruction is pause. So what that means is is, is that the most important thing is, is that you stay connected to your own body, physical sense of what's going on for you. And at any point... If you get absorbed into complexity or big thoughts or trying to impress or some sense of something other than what's actually going on in the immediacy of your body, just stop. Just stop talking in the middle of a sentence, in the middle of a word. Just stop. The most important thing is to stay connected with your body. Not to make sense, not to impress, not to convey, communicate, but to stay present with your body. And what I want you to talk about on the first round is just a reporting of the things that are physically going on in your body. You know? And very simple, like haiku. So not big stories, but just like, well, I feel pressure on my seat. I feel my back, so there's some tension. I hear some funny sounds. I don't know where they're from. The temperature feels warm. My eyes feel heavy. I'm a little bit full. Very simple. Okay, So not going off into how this is and why this is and how it got there and how I feel about it. Just staying with the physical experience of what's going on in your body. And if you lose it, just stop. And if you need to close your eyes, close your eyes. Reconnect with your physical body. And when you're ready, start again. So I'm going to walk around, and as I walk around, I'm going to ring the bells and pause you. I will pause you. And when you hear my bell, no matter what's going on, just stop. So it's like, I didn't finish. Tough. (laughs) Just stop and just feel what it feels like to pause. Okay? And then we can start again. I'll start you again, yeah? Now, the person listening, your job is also to listen with your body. Okay? Your job is not to affirm. It's not to fix. It's not to agree. It's not to disagree. It's not to tell them the things that they have to do. It's to listen with your body and not to say anything, but just to listen with your body. And if while you're listening, you have any sense at all that you're getting absorbed in what they're saying, that you've lost contact with your body, that you are leaning in rather than present and still, if you have any sense at all that what's happening is is, is that you're not connected, then close your eyes. Reconnect with your body. 
And then when you feel reconnected, open your eyes and begin listening to what they have to say. It doesn't matter that you miss some of the things that they said. The most important thing is that you stay connected to your own body experience. Okay. Are the instructions clear? Are there any questions? So if you have questions that arise, just let me know. You know, you can ask. So for the three, then what's going to happen is your timing is going to be different. So I'm going to partner, I'm going to time things for the two. So the three is going to have less time for each person. And that means that within the group of three, you're going to need to have a timekeeper that's going to have a separate timing for all of this. And I'm going to give you the overall time so the number three people will be able to figure out how much time they need to change. Yeah? Okay. So please partner up and spread out. Take as much space as you want. And when you hear my bells, this is the magic bell. This, this, this starts and stops the whole universe, this bell. <laughs> yeah, so that's, you hear, when you hear that bell, then, then whatever it is, either you are stopping or you're starting. Well, look at you guys, you're all happy to be in the same space. Wow, isn't that lovely? Yeah, so I'll ring the bell to do the, the, to the ones to the twos, and the threes are gonna need their own partnering, yeah? So, before you guys start, yeah, I mean, you're welcome to say hello and find out what the name of your partner is. Who's who's the three? Where's the three? We don't have a three? So, you guys are, oh, you guys are out there. So, we don't have a three. We've got only two. So, well, great. Okay. Um, okay, so what I'd like you to do is for two and a half minutes, three minutes. Three minutes, the first person is speaking, and all you're doing is reporting what's going on in your body. Okay? And if you don't have anything to say, then just stop. Don't say anything. Just sit. You don't say anything. Okay? So I time it. And let me get out my other watch because it's a little bit easier. I've got a... Um, so when you hear the sound of the bell, everyone really, probably the best thing is just to start with your eyes closed. So really feel your own space and feel yourself rooted in your space. You feel your the, the the body sensations very strongly, and really make it clear that your commitment is to stay connected to that. So a relational practice is to be connected to others, but without losing connection with ourself. So now, when you hear the sound of the bell, then when you feel ready in your own time, you can just softly open your eyes, and you don't need to lock eyes or focus in any particular place just wherever feels restful and then the first person who begins speaking starts and the meditation instruction is pause and the topic is what is happening in your body the person listening meditation instruction also is pause and you are listening with your body you hear the sound of the bell in your own time and gently and quietly begin. So just coming back into stillness, pausing, feeling what's present, speaking, feeling what's present, having listened. 
noticing. Noticing the difference between the way this feels and the way it ordinarily feels when we're talking. Noticing the quality of presence in your body now. Noticing the quality of what it's like to speak or listen to another in this way. What's the quality of the connection? What does that feel like? To show up in this kind of way with another person. So just noticing in the same quality of awareness that receives, that allows, that doesn't judge, that doesn't ask it to be otherwise, but just what does it feel like? Now changing partners, so the partner who was listening now speaking, partner who was first speaking is now listening. Same instruction, meditation instruction is pause. The topic is just a present moment reporting of what's going on in your body. Again, when you hear the sound of the bell in your own time, quietly, gently, open your eyes and begin. Just touching in again and just seeing what that feels like, where you're at. How much presence is there in your body? What it felt like to speak in this way? What it felt like to listen in this way? What the quality of connection is in doing this? A sense of safety, of trust, of intimacy. Just noticing this is like, how it feels. So for the next few minutes, what I'd like you to do is in dialogue, just sharing with each other what it was like to speak, what it was like to listen. No particular order, just in dialogue. So when you hear the sound of the bell, Open your eyes and begin. And while you're in dialogue, the meditation instruction is paused. So if you get lost into story, if you get lost into what the other person is saying, if you lose contact with your body as you're sharing, stop yourself at any point. Come back into contact with your physical body. And then when you're ready, start again. That's the most important thing is that you stay connected to your own body experience as you're speaking. So how are we doing? Not as easy. It's not as So when it's not really super structured, it's not easy because the habits kick in and we lose it really quickly. Yeah, And so it's okay to notice that we've lost it. It's okay to notice that it's not as easy. It's okay to notice exactly where we're at. Drop back in. 
Come back in. Come back in. Connect, ground, set the intention that staying connected to the body is a priority, even when it's not as easy. And again, when you hear the sound of the bell, open your eyes in your own time, begin again. This beginning instruction of pause and staying connected to the body, I want to open up the question a little bit more, which is that, you know, the the topic of this day long was radical freedom. And I have my own understanding of what that is. And what would be interesting for me is for this topic, radical freedom, to be something that you share with your partner. What does that mean for you? Not just as a concept, but as a body experience. What is radical freedom as a body experience for you? Okay? So is the question clear? Yeah? So going back to the first person who was speaking... And you have some time just to share what is radical freedom for you. And the meditation instruction needs to be paused. So when you're losing it, in terms of off into ideas, when you're not feeling your body directly, even though that's what you're talking about, then just stop. And just drop back in, reconnect, and... See what it is to speak from the place of aliveness in your body as you're talking about it. Okay? Now, the person listening, I'm going to play some tricks on you. So, I want you to listen from different places. And as you're listening, just note what you hear so that when you finish, I want you to report back what you hear. Okay? So the last exercise was to listen with your body. This next part, the first part, I want you to listen with your eyes. I want you to pick up what you pick up with your eyes as you are attending to the other person. Okay? Clear? Any questions? So the meditation instruction is paused for both. And for the person speaking, it's speaking about radical aliveness as a physical experience. And the person listening is listening with your eyes. What do you pick up as you attend visually as the other is speaking? Continue the same person speaking, same person listening, but now the person listening, I want you to tune in to the qualities of heart. 
So what qualities of heart you feel as the other person is speaking? Listen with your heart. Same topic. Same speaker. Same meditation instruction. Pause. So now what I'd like to ask is the person who is listening to report back what you heard. So what things you saw, what emotional tones you picked up on when you were listening to you, your partner speaking. Again, the meditation instruction is paused. So as you're reporting back, if you lose contact with your own physical body experience, if you're getting wrapped up and trying to impress or trying somehow to convey concepts, then stop. Stop talking. Reconnect and then start again. Clear? Okay. Now the person who was just hearing what it, what the uh, their listener was reporting back, just take a, a couple of moments and share what it felt like to have that be reported. Okay, so now we get to change partners, and not partners, but change the, so the person who was uh, first speaking is now listening. The person who was first listening is now speaking. And the same topic, which is, you know, where, how do you experience liveness, uh, freedom? And um, both are working with the meditation instruction pause, so that continues. And with the person now listening, I want you to listen with your ears. Everyone giggles. <laughs> As that's such a radical <laughs> option. <laughs> so coming back into your own body, feeling your own ground. seat of presence, of awareness in your own body. When you hear the sound of the bell, open your eyes and begin. So continuing on with the same topic, same person speaking, and now the person listening, you get to choose any way you want to listen. (laughs) But notice which way you're choosing. Again, staying with pause. So every time you kind of get lost in topics or 
absorbing into somebody else or any of the 10,000 ways that we do, just come back into your body, reconnect. And then when you have reconnected, begin again. So you're always welcome to pause yourself at any point, both person speaking and person listening. Again, gently, when you hear the sound of the bell, open your eyes, softly, begin. So now I'd like to invite the person who is listening to uh, recount what you heard. And when you were listening any which way you wanted to, if you care to share which way you were listening, you're also welcome to do that. Okay? So now, for the person who just heard the feedback, just what was it like to have that reported back to you? So I would be interested if anyone wanted to share what that was like for you. So if you can squiggle around so that there's um, a sense of... And what some people have figured out, which what I did, forgot to mention, was is that, you know, one of the things that happens with this practice is, is that it just really, it's not possible to do this by ourselves. And so, you know, gestures of respect or appreciation for your partner in, in, a, in a way that feels easeful are very much appropriate, you know. So just take a moment to acknowledge your, your partner in a way that feels right for you. So how was that? What was that like for you? Yes. How different is this from your normal way of speaking? And in terms of very, were there qualities about this you noted as being more relaxing or pleasurable or connecting than what's the common thing for you? And so when you were listening with the full of your focus, what did that feel like for you? Yeah. So it's such a challenge because our normal patterns are not to do that. Our normal patterns are not to take care of ourselves and to take care of the other person no matter how much we have to sacrifice ourselves, And so this is cutting right across that, and it feels absolutely weird. But then what happens? It's like, yeah, okay, so it feels weird initially, but then does it feel like we're being rude when we're starting to take care of each other ourselves? It's like, did, the, did it feel like that at the end, or did it feel like that at the beginning? 
Right. So there we need to have some context, you know, as well as say, listen, you know, for me, I can I feel like I'm able to listen to you the most fully when I'm actually present in my body. And so when I notice for whatever reason I get pulled out, if I close my eyes, it's not because I don't care. It's because I actually want to pay fully attention to what you're saying. So if you actually are speaking to somebody who doesn't know what you're doing and you make it contextual, I mean, if somebody said that to me, it was like, wow, you care that much? You know, it has a totally different experience than somebody, you know, kind of disconnecting. Yeah. And that's a brilliant thing to notice. And the other brilliant thing to notice is is that some parts of the way that we listen are less activated than others. So like if somebody is um, shredding you, you can listen with the bottom of your feet, you know. So it's not like you're tuning them out, but you're listening from a place that doesn't get so activated, okay? And, you know, so we we think or we have this idea that we're supposed to be totally present according to some idea of what that means. But sometimes the way that we show up means that we can't actually be totally present because what's happening is too hard. So if we tune into a way that we can be present that actually doesn't have a shutdown, we're present, but dialed into a, a, a way that works for us. Now, I don't remember to do that a lot of the time, but when I do remember, it makes a big difference because I can be 100% present from the bottom of my feet. And it doesn't take me five hours to recover. You know? Yeah. So how many else felt touched? So, I mean, I think what we each need to learn is is that for each of us, we're going to have all kinds of different places that feel easeful or comfortable. And it's not that it needs to be one way or the other. But what we just need to know is is that different ways of listening are going to have a different effect on ourselves. And as Robin reported, not only on ourselves, but also eliciting different things that we're sharing. Yeah. So there's a huge amount of potential power where we place our attention. Okay? And that's like part of the thing to understand about this is is that, you know, in showing up with another person, if we show up in ourselves with that person, there's something remarkably and noteworthy different than when we're not showing up with ourselves. And then how we are actually letting our attention rest has all kinds of different effects on what we see and feel and observe and how the other person also feels. So it's just like... And normally we don't... We just don't notice any of that. You know? It's not It's not available to us. Yeah. Are there other... Yes? Yeah. And isn't it tragic that there's so much talking and so little hearing... You know, And so part of the reason why I wanted to do this is because I cannot be that for everybody in an hour. And yet you can be that for everybody in an hour. You totally can. And everyone can speak and everyone can be heard in that way. And you can feel how deeply restorative and nourishing it is to do that with each other. Initially, those are absolutely the instructions and part of the reason for bringing neutral is actually so that we can actually know for sure that 
coming from our own place and our own body. Once we know that, then we don't need to keep that no smiling, no nodding thing. But that's a kind of basic instruction so that we can actually feel what it's like to feel our body, because most of the time we don't. We're talking and we're not at all connected to what's going on. You know, we're, but we're not actually what our body is feeling. Yeah. So, um, you know, that flags a really important point that, you know, we're on a different kind of scale of how much contact feels at ease for us and the kind of ways that we engage. And I've done this before where there are some people who just bolted. It's like they couldn't, they couldn't do it. Or the only way that they could do it was with like another teacher in a separate space where the teacher was totally dialing in to their own capacity rather than just following the instructions. But hats off to you for weathering the discomfort and, and, and also seeing that, that there was something easeful that came through staying with it, which probably is a, a new experience for you. You know, so, you know, I, I don't ever want to put people in a corner where they feel like they're pressed up against a wall where they have to do something that really doesn't feel right. But oftentimes it's like our sense of what we are capable of is nowhere near the actuality and that there's some discomfort to be navigated to, you know, open a door to see what these other realms are possible with. Thank you for sharing. It's really important to honor the difficulty and the challenges and to be careful with how much one pushes with that because if there's too much push, there can be a backlash. You know. But I, I'm, I'm heartened to hear that, that the end result felt um, uh, easeful. Thank you for sharing. Important share. Very important. So much in an hour of talking. Look at all of this. My goodness, you know. So I hope um, the kind of the richness of this practice, maybe just the kind of a window in, uh, gives some insight as to why I thought it might be worthwhile for us to do together and why I think it's important. Uh, I mean, there can be a lovely feeling of bonding with people when we don't say anything, but that's a different quality than actually experiencing what it's like actually to be heard and what it's like to listen, you know. So, good. So, what I'd like to do now is um, to do a little bit of movement. And, John, can we get you standing up? So, let's do some body movement. And if people want to spread out into that back hall, you're welcome to. Okay, so, feeling the feet on the ground. Can you guys hear me okay? Great. Oh, good. Excellent. Okay. Feet on the ground. And lifting hands up. Now, when we lift hands up, what I want you to do is lift them up as if the breath is lifting them up. So we're not taking our minds and dragging them up. Almost as if we had uh, strings on our wrists and hummingbirds holding the strings. So the hummingbirds are pulling the wrists up with our breath. So effort is an important part of meditation practice. And most of us have a long learning about what right effort is. Um, Most people probably are more like me and my dad, willful. And so to allow effort, you know, to have effort be a force of breath and awareness moving through the body 
This is what Qigong masters are doing. And what they do is they don't just use the energy that's in their own body system, they utilize the energy of the earth around them. That's sometimes why they can exhibit power that just seems unimaginable, because it is. It's not just the power in their body. So if we go back to letting the energetic anchors of our feet drop way into the earth, incredibly deep into the earth, and we let the awareness and the life force and the breath from deep in the earth come through those energetic anchors and let that be what helps support the arms moving up. It's not so much just muscle as it is this life force. Now, take your hands and rub them together. And pull your hands apart and see if you can feel the tingling. Now, move your hands further apart and see if you can still feel the tingling. It might feel like taffy, saltwater taffy, kind of like a pulling. And then change the dimension or the the area so that it's not just in one plane but in different planes. Okay? Can you feel something between your hands? Yeah? That's chi energy. That's not gravity. That's chi. That's life force energy. That's in our systems. So now let's try doing that again where we rub our hands and let the hand rubbing be something that connects the earth energy that's sinking in up into our body. So let it move up the back of our spine, up over the top of our head and down through the central channel. So using the hands to help with the feeling and sense of movement. Breathing the energy in over the top of the head down through the central channel. So bringing that energy in from way from the bottom of the earth to the depth of the earth, bringing it in and pushing it out. And can you notice a difference between the way this feels and the way it feels just to push your arms up? drop and just swinging over the side stretching out the side and again letting the chi comes through the bottom of the feet up the legs and then pouring out through the fingers that are arched over the head Let's do a spinal twist where we're standing with our legs open or shoulders width apart, knees bent. We can do this. Run over which way we can if we can't do this. 
letting the arms float up and then rotating so that our hips are rotating and then when our hips can't move anymore rotating our upper chest and then breathing out and then coming back around and then re-establishing balance so feeling the knees over the feet bent sacrum tucked under shoulders relaxed and then moving through the other side And coming back through the center and following your own breath rhythm from side to side, moving from one side to the other, being sure to stop in the center and reestablish balance. Okay, and now what I want to do is a really strong breath exercise. So again, where our knees are shoulders width apart, knees are bent over the feet, and then drawing in the chi. So now we're drawing in the chi and concentrating in our dantian, which is the lower part of our abdomen, a couple inches beneath our navel, really focusing it there. And then what we want to do is to release it with a large um, hissing noise and opening our eyes, blaring... So what we're doing is we're kind of becoming wrathful deities. And what's fabulous about wrathful deities is even though they look really, really scary, they're an enlightened manifestation of the stuff that we usually have a hard time dealing with. So what we want to do is to look as scary as we can look and to make a big as hissing noise as we can possibly make. And we don't want to nail anyone but between the spaces, okay? So, and imagine you've got fangs and they're dripping with blood so that you really are scary, okay? So open your eyes, open your mouth, make a big hissing sound and release. And so drawing the energy and concentrating it in the dantian and then make a sound and release. Drawing it in. Drawing it in. And come backing into standing and just noticing what a few breaths like that does. So this practice is particularly useful for stagnant energy, for anger energy, for depression energy, for liver energy. And just noticing what happens to the body when we do this. So allowing, opening, feeling, whatever is present. Receiving it with interest, with warmth, and knowing it's there. So there's many elements of uh, life of a human body, mind, system. There's the physical body, which we can tune into the sensations and the posture. 
There's the experience of pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. The quality of pleasant, the quality of unpleasant, the quality of neutral. Stuff that neither is pleasant or unpleasant. And then there's the mind experiences, the thoughts, the feelings, the memories, the associations, the perceptions, the labeling. And all of this is something we can know in awareness. Receive in awareness. Embrace in awareness. And what's amazing is, is that we can do that as an individual person and we can do that as a group. We can tune in to the quality of being here in my own physical body and being here with each other, doing the same thing. So when we tune in to being in this space with each other, notice if there's anything that changes What it is? Can we notice anything in our body? Can we notice anything in the quality of our breath or in the mood? What happens when we actually tune in to all of us standing here doing this together? What does that feel like? Okay, and so in our own way, in our own time, coming back into a sitting posture. So in in meditation, um, meditation is actually quite a large subject. And one whole part of what meditation is about is learning how to bring balance to the conditions of what we're experiencing. So learning how to relax when we're tense, learning how to energize when we're tired. You know, bringing skillfulness to all of the things that arise in our body, in our hearts, in our minds. And for most of us, this is not a weekend project. It's our whole life, learning how to do that. And yet, in meditation, if the only thing that we think meditation is about is doing that, becoming calm or skill or skillful or being in balance, inevitably we're going to come up against walls that we can't do that with. You know, how many people experienced the fires this summer as an in-control, imbalanced experience? Or the shootings? Or, you know, some of the things that are going on with the weather, you know. Or when somebody gets catastrophically, or when somebody that you know dies. 
for when each of us has to go through that process. So if we hold on to balance as like the thing that what meditation is, inevitably we come to a place where either we feel that we have failed or that meditation has failed. And my suggestion is is that neither are correct conclusions, but just that we are limited our meditation to one half of what meditation is about. The other half of meditation is to learn how to relax attention in awareness to be with things as they are. So one whole aspect of meditation is bringing things into balance. And a whole other aspect of meditation is letting it be exactly as it is. And responding with a kind of heartfulness and care and attention that we can bring to things exactly as they are. So when we shift our focus from trying to find a way to have things come into balance then there's a whole other thing that opens up in terms of what it is to rest, to allow, to know, and to respond heartfully to what is happening. So this next meditation that I'd like um, to lead you in has to do with the second way of meditating. Again, starting with the posture that has some easefulness, relaxation, balance, uprightness, stability. So the whole instructions around posture could be a month, really. You know, it's not insignificant. And so when our posture feels alive, those qualities of alignment and balance and relaxation are present. And what does the body feel like? Like a mountain. Strong. Grounded. Beautiful. Dignified. Upright. So allowing the body to be like a mountain. Majestic. Handsome. Noble. Resting into itself. And let the breath be like the wind. Nothing to do with it. Just let it be. Let it come and go like a wind. Soft and gentle sometimes. Strong other times. Almost unnoticeable at other times still. Just let the breath be like the wind. 
where there's no sense whatsoever that there's anything that we can do about it other than wake up to it. Hear it, feel it, know it, be breathed by it. Body like a mountain and breath like the wind. Letting the mind be like the sky. Vast, open, clear, spacious, allowing everything, exempting nothing, relaxing into the vast, open spaciousness of the sky. Clouds emerge, exist for a while, move, shift, change, and dissolve, all according to conditions. The sky has no need to interfere, to organize, or to change anything whatsoever. Clear and luminous, knowing everything. Without controlling anything. Thoughts come and go, and feelings come and go, ideas about ourselves come and go, just like clouds passing through the sky. Some of them are beautiful. Some of them are ominous. Some of them obscure the visibility, and they're all clouds. They come when the conditions are right. They stay for a while and then pass. Body sensations. Feelings of pleasant and unpleasant and neutral. Memories, perceptions, ideas, beliefs. All of them are like clouds. Floating through awareness known in awareness, received in awareness, dissolving back into awareness.
body like a mountain, strong, upright, majestic, dignified, whole unto itself, breath, free as the wind, mind, open, vast, spacious as the sky, nothing to do, nowhere to go, nothing to become, nothing to get rid of, resting, luminous, clear nature of awareness, which is not different from love. Receiving everything, welcoming and embracing everything, warm, concerned, caring about everything. Not trying to do anything. Not trying to get. Not trying to get rid of. Just resting. Vast, open, spacious warmth of awareness. Warmth of love. body like a mountain, upright, dignified, relaxed, energized, breath like the wind, free, released, flowing, spontaneous, uncontrived, mind vast, open, spacious as the sky, resting. Containing everything, knowing everything, identifying with nothing, controlling nothing, letting it be, letting the clouds be, letting the thoughts, the feelings, the memories, the body sensations, the ideas of who I am supposed to be, letting it all be, just like clouds coming and going according to their own nature, passing through the sky. Sometimes there's pain, discomfort. What happens if we let it be like a cloud? 
where we release our resistance and our contraction. And let it be just like an unpleasant cloud that passes through the sky. Not to abdicate responsibility. Choose a different kind of ability to respond. Softening, relaxing, and releasing. So what I'd like to do for this next bit is really um, check in with you and find out. Um, I know some of you are, are pretty new to meditation, and and others of you have been meditating for a while. You know, for for my for myself in terms of my own aspiration or my own longing, is is really um, to live with um, a sense of inner freedom. In, in, in what I do. And, and so what I'd be interested in finding out from each of you is, you know, where are the places that um, need more support? Where are the places that feel um, like you're flourishing? Where, where are the places that uh, you feel community can gather in a way that is more nourishing around letting this develop. That equals my experience. I mean, there's a lot of that I've learned from that. Yeah. So Gregory Kramer is the um, founder of an organization called Meta Organization. And he's written a book called Insight Dialogue. And he's created um, very clear systematic instructions for doing this and has a whole community. And this summer, I'm going to be co-teaching a retreat, which is going to be half meditation and half insight dialogue. It'll be a women's retreat. Um, Because for me, this material is very interesting for me. But... But the, I wanted to I wanted to start on with just women's retreat because of the topic, but then we'll see how it unfolds as to whether or not this opens up for other people as well. 
But most of the, the retreats that I've done, like the New Year's retreat that I've done and the weekend retreats that I've done, I've always incorporated a little bit of this into it because I feel that it is so important. So I see resonance, you know, in your twinkles and sadness that that's going to be a women's retreat. <laughs> I don't have any flyers out for it yet, but um, they'll be coming out soon. It'll be in August and it'll be in Colorado. That is seven days. The topic is love, sexuality, and awakening, which is the reason why it's a women's retreat. I figured I I could handle that with just women. I don't think I'd know all how it would work if I had it as a mixed retreat initially. Yes, it is definitely a precept retreat. August 2nd until 9th, and it'll be at the Sunrise Ranch in Loveland. And Sharon Beckman Brindley and I will be co-teaching it. And she is the senior insight dialogue teacher under Gregory Kramer. And she's fabulous. She's just wonderful. I'm very curious what that will be like. Very, very curious. But I too, you know, I feel that we're, we're at a shifting point in a million different ways in our society. And you know, the, the ancient traditions that, you know, I came from, that I've come from, um, very, very much has a very strong emphasis on solitude and silence and concentration practices, which have a value. I mean, I don't, I don't dismiss it at all. But in our world where, you know, the kind of interactions that we're dealing with and the lack of time that we have for long intensive practice, we have to bring the meditation into our life. And so much is about being with each other in a real way. And what I've had to learn, which is what John was saying earlier, is, is that you know when I'm not able to do that, I need to give context and say, just pause for a moment with me. I just need to reconnect with myself, which will make it me more able to be able to hear you more fully. And when I explain what I'm doing... I've never had somebody feel um, rejected or dismissed or anything. They're just, they're happy to support me in it. But we're not used to doing that. We're not used to revealing our internal process as a way of asking for support to stay in relationship with somebody else. All of this is supposed to be top secret, invisible material, you know. But when I can track what's going on internally and then express it, I inevitably get support for doing that. And we, have a weird, we live in a weird world. You know, we don't have permission to be honest. Right, and so then we have a choice to make, you know, because, you know, all of us have a coming out ceremony that we need to do on some level in terms of, you know, you know how much are we wanting to show up in ourselves in a way that actually is authentic with our internal worlds and how much of us wants to split and have two different realities, one that we show up in the corporate world and then a whole different reality in another world, you know. And so for many of us, it's like, well, okay, yeah, there's certain kinds of culture in the corporate world that we don't necessarily have in our family, but there's got to be some level of congruence that moves from one to the other, otherwise it just feels like we're divided. And so, you know, that challenge of, well, how much do we risk in terms of how actually transparent we are in our professional worlds, which we understand do not accept us doing that. 
and how much risk do we take in 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 seeing whether our perceptions are in fact accurate and in fact the things that we might fear are in fact the case or are they in fact just ideas that we have in our head about how we think it's supposed to be you know i there was a conference in spirit rock recently um wisdom tuo and they had all these ceos from all over the place it was Ford Corporation and LinkedIn and I mean all these people who are executives in corporate worlds who are talking about wisdom, compassion and mindfulness and how important it is in the, in the corporate world um, for for good business you know so it's 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 there are places where this is not so weird you know this is actually normal and um and yet, because so many people feel so isolated, they don't actually feel that that's actually the corporate culture that they're living in, then they feel like it is hugely risking to be able to be transparent in that kind of a way. And so, you know, what would be, I would love, I would really love, is if there were little kind of clusters of people who were corporate executives, who had similar values, who supported each other, for navigating the various kinds of challenges that inevitably you will navigate, you know, in Colorado, you know. But also linked in with people who are in other parts of the country who are doing this, who also have some support for what this looks like, you know. Because to me, this is where the world is going to shift, you know, in this kind of stuff of people, like, finding ways to make workplaces, places that are more... um, compassionate of course i mean obviously you need to translate in terms of the people that you're speaking with but if you're having a hard time paying attention you can say just hang on a moment i'm not able to pay attention to you i just need a moment um let me just attend to something and going on inside of myself i just need a moment and then i'll be right back with you okay so i'm not wanting to disconnect because i don't care i'm wanting to take some time so that i can actually be more fully present and obviously you're going to need to use whatever language that's going to work for the person you're speaking to yeah Good point. Yeah. How was it for the people brand new to meditation here today? Anyone else want to share from the ones who are kind of new to all of this? Right. So one of the things that happens is is that, you know, when we've got, you know, a whole bunch of decisions that we make in a very short period of time and a tremendous amount of information that we're processing and contact with people and, you know, there's a lot of impact. Okay, so that when we go into a meditation space, our system says, oh, it's time to go to bed. Okay, we don't have 75 decisions to make in the next five minutes. I'm not processing all this information. It's bedtime. And that's something that most meditators experience when they, when they just go on retreat for the first few days, is the shift from the normal input to the meditation space oftentimes is accompanied by a lot of tiredness. That's normal. It's your system is changing gears. It's like moving from one gravitational force field to another. It takes some time to adjust. It takes some time to get some sea legs, you know, where you can actually feel some stability when everything is constantly moving. Okay? So that's nothing wrong with what's happening. That's normal. And then what happens is, is that we get more skilled at being able to navigate that and also more skilled at being able to bring a kind of Settling into what's happening in the present moment so there's less of an accumulation. Uh-huh. Perfect, yeah. So it's a lot easier to come when there's somebody you know who's doing it. 
And for people who are well-seasoned with meditation, well, you know, one of the things that we have to understand is context. And I heard something, somebody say something recently which really helped put the things into context, which is, is that the way we live in our modern world, we have more stuff and information and details to process in a day than people had in an entire lifetime. Okay? Yeah. All right? So what we're trying to do is like, you know, swim up Niagara Falls. It's not going to be very easy to do that, you know. So in order to match the complexity of the world that we're navigating, we need to be able to drop into extraordinary simplicity. And one of the things about dropping into enormous simplicity is to know the difference between concentration and mindfulness, so on a retreat like this, you know, where we're not talking and Sierra's done all this stuff to set up the space, you know, the tea's ready, the kettle's ready, everything's ready. All we need to do is show up. Our capacity to drop into mind states that are concentrated are greater. And with concentration comes more ease and more relaxation and more sense of joy and more sense of clarity and all the rest of that. Okay? But mindfulness is the ability to know what's going on. And knowing anxiety, overwhelm, confusion, feeling grubby, feeling, you know, like it's too much, those are all totally valid objects of meditation. But we don't normally think that they are. Okay? So when we notice that we're feeling overwhelmed, then one of the first things we need to do is to, is to register that that's what's happening. And then to, and to soften around our resistance to feeling that way. Because the worst thing to do when we're feeling overwhelmed is to fight it or to resist it. Now, obviously, we can make choices to help, you know, regulate, you know, in terms of how much, how many activities that we're doing and all the rest of it. But in the instant when we're feeling overwhelmed, that's our meditation object. That's what we need to be attentive to. And then not wanting it to be there. Okay? So one of the things that I've been doing over the last few years was Thai Rockies and um, Vic, Vic Ahmed um, bought a 85,000 square foot building in Centennial wanting to set up as a as an entrepreneurial hotspot. And he's taken a shine to me and wanted me to teach the entrepreneurs how to meditate. So because of him and because of the context and all the rest of that, I for the last few years I've been trying to figure out how to Bring people who are corporate executives who've got zero meditation experience and give them some kind of a context. And so I've got a couple of books that are more oriented towards that kind of line than the meditators are. And, you know, one of them is um, Meditation on a New York Minute. The other is called Search Inside Yourself. And the other is um, the book, I can't remember the name of the author, but Delivering Happiness. Um, Zappos, the CEO of Zappos. Yeah, yeah. They created a whole corporate culture, a whole culture based on happiness. Okay, and because I am used to meditators, not corporate people, it was useful for me to look at these books to get a sense of what kind of examples and things like that are useful. All right. So you know, everyone's got cell phones. So make a cell phone buzz that's calming rather than makes your system feel like you've just gone into a trauma. Okay? 
And on the computer screen and on the cell phone screen, have a picture that tells you or signals to you relax, okay? So that every time you see it, there's something that reminds you to slow down and to relax. On this um, Spirit Rock conference, what's the name of the woman who created Huffington Post? What's her name? Yeah, she's fabulous. She thought, you know, technology is such a pain in the butt because everyone's getting totally disconnected. But everyone is using technology. So being a brilliant genius, she said, well, what we need is a technology that helps people get reconnected. So they made an app. No joke. What's it called? It's called um, something for your soul. It's an app so that when you get stressed out to the nines and you're losing it, you can use the app to help you re-regulate back into calm. Yep. It helps you with breathing and it's got, you know, it helps you with photographs that help you deregulate into places where you feel more relaxed, with music, with guided meditations, with all the rest of that. And it's got some kind of a gidget gasmo that works with the, with the, with the camera that helps track your breathing. So that it actually it measures your stress responses and helps you actually track your breathing. Yeah, so like, okay, so here's a genius woman who realizes technology is a pain in the butt, but you can use technology to reverse the pain in the butt factor to get you back into your body. Of course, but you see, this is not for meditators. This is for corporate executives who don't know how to meditate, okay? So people who actually have a meditation practice, I would imagine, wouldn't use the app. But for the, you know, eight, six billion, so 5.9 5.9 billion, whatever, who, who don't meditate, then it's useful for them. Okay? But the thing is, is that, okay, and so the other thing is, is, is that, all right, so you have an understanding about going on long retreats and having an hour day long practice. What you need to do is have several times during the day when you have a three breath retreat. Where for three breaths, you are on total retreat. You've got no responsibilities at all other than to drop your attention into your body and mind and to totally show up for what's happening and relax. And so then what you need to do is then to create some kind of an alarm system that reminds you, okay, it's time for retreat right now. And as we do that more and more, then we're able to navigate the stress throughout the day. It doesn't accumulate as much. And so then we have more capacity. But like, you know, okay, so I came out of England and Sierra was very generous in terms of her languaging of what actually happening. You know, the stress I was navigating was like off the Richter scale. And I just needed an enormous amount of time to figure out everything and to figure out the transition because it was huge, all right? And even though it's been a few years now, most of the worst of it is through, I'm still, I still need a lot of time. So for me, it would be it would be um, cruel to put myself into a situation where I was doing a massive amount of traveling and teaching, and I didn't have large chunks of time where I can meditate because my system's still not there yet. I think I will get there, but I'm not there yet. So I have to be able to know where I'm up to and create circumstances and lifestyles that support it. Okay. Now, with what I went through, it's a, a little bit not, I mean, I'm not saying this tongue-in-cheek, it's a little bit like coming through a war. It's not um, ordinary in terms of the kind of time and what it takes in order to re-regulate, you know. It's big, you know. 
So if you are like me and have been through something that's just really profound, it just takes quite a lot of time and a lot of support in order to come back into what for other people is ordinary levels of busyness. So self-regulation, knowing what you're up to, is really important. But, you know, so, you know, people are used to doing a lot of stuff and sometimes what we need to do is actually do less. You know? Yeah. Well, there's a, something that weird that happens, which is, is that when people are actually operating from a place of mindfulness and compassion, they end up being more productive. So it's not as if they have to split where you can say, well, either it's for profit or it's for awareness because, in fact, the things come together. In fact, there's a whole, um, the MIT people wrote a bunch of fabulous books and they've got a whole program in their business school that utilizes creating really, really, really um, healthy corporate culture as a maximum way of optimizing efficiency and capacity for an organization. And they've created a whole business model around it, okay? They're not meditators. They're smart. And with a kind of crazy competitive world that we're living in, in order to, to stay even or succeed, they have to have optimum performance of everybody. And the way to do that is to have optimum buy-in. And the way to have optimum buy-in is to have the healthiest culture that they can create. And the way to have the healthiest culture they can create is have people have permission to show up with the fullness of who they are and be encouraged to participate in completely in their whole mind-body system to the goals that they're creating. So they got to the same end from a different pathway. But, you know, somebody, a friend of mine who's a meditation teacher who did both he worked in the corporate world, and he was also a meditation teacher. He he gave me three or four books, and I was reading them. They're business books, and I'm crying because the stories are like just heart-rendering, you know, in terms of the beauty of the kinds of things, that the challenges that people were up against and the, the ways that they prevailed and the kind of results that they had, just allowing the fullness of their own being to be the kind of basis that they were coming forward with. So, I mean, I would love it to see, you know, people who are meditators who are also in the corporate world had little satellite things where they spent time together and talked about stuff that's particularly relevant for the worlds that you're living in, you know. That would make me feel so nourished to know that that kind of stuff is happening, you know. It'd be fabulous. Good. I want to spend just a couple more minutes tying in what Sierra said in the morning time in terms of where I come from and what my vision is and what I'm doing here. And, and um, just just to give you more context and also so that you would have more sense if you signed up for the e-list, what you'd be signing up for. And then have announcements and then maybe a, a, a short meditation to close and then closing. So... Um, There isn't anything in the world that I value more than waking up. I think that's absolutely true. And even though there have been quite a lot of challenges that I've navigated as a nun because of coming out of a traditional culture, there's an enormous amount of blessings that I've experienced from living this way and being supported to live this way. And yet, because the the culture that I came from was um, was very much a traditional culture, um, what worked in a traditional society doesn't work so great in a modern society in some places. And so there was a kind of 
crash or clunch or, or, or whatever you want to call it between traditional values and modern values and how to move forward with it, which is part of the reason why there was this big, huge and the, and the nuns community was really targeted and had such a strong um, uh, impact on them. For me, the Buddha did not teach Buddhism. The Buddha taught awakening. And the Buddha was very clear about giving us the tools to be able to adapt this into our modern worlds. Okay, So he wasn't interested in us keeping lines and ridges. He was interested in us waking up completely and bringing that into the various different places of our lives and our minds and our hearts and our bodies and our relationships. Okay, For whatever reason, which... I don't always understand. I came out of this with this feeling that there has got to be a way. There has got to be a way, you know, to bring the blessings of this phenomenal tradition and allow it to shift and move and adapt into a way that encourages rather than stifles us in our present modern-day world. Okay? So that was the kind of vision that I had. Is, is that that's, there has got to be a way. I feel called to show up to see if it can happen. And that this is not just relevant for nuns. This is relevant for everybody. And one of the reasons why I feel that the nuns were so clearly targeted was because we'd moved out of the traditional model and become integral, you know. And it wasn't really easeful for an integral whatever to exist within a traditional framework, Okay. So we were told, either you've got to toe the line or you've got to go. Okay? It was like there was no willingness to negotiate. That was closed down. Totally. It's done. No more conversation about this. It's like, this is our gig. You do it our way, or there's the door. So to say that to a group of all mendicant women, some of whom who'd been nuns for 30 years, I mean, it's like, wow, really? But for me, the blessing is, is is that I feel like I'm in a position to say, okay, what is needed now? All right? Not just for monastics, but for all of us. Because the real model of a monastic community is, is that it's an oasis. It's not just for monastics. It's to serve everybody. Okay? So that's what I'm sitting with, is this big vision of what would it look like to create a situation that really genuinely supports everyone in awakening. And that's the vision that I came out of England wanting to support. Now, I'm an Aquarian. The Buddha was not an Aquarian. And one of the the problems of being an Aquarian is is that I can be unbelievably visionary and I'm not very strategic. <laughs> Somebody understands. <laughs> I came out of England, which is this unbelievable amount of, of shock in my system with this vision that was going to take a small army to manage. Totally unrealistic about where I was at and what was needed in order to make it happen, you know. So uh, what's happened over the last few years is I've gotten more understanding of where I'm at, what needs to happen, and more more patient in sense of, okay, so if I'm going to live as a hermit nun and write about it or talk about it or embody about it, I can do that until people get it, how important this is 
and are actually wanting to step up and make it happen. So rather than me trying to carry it on my shoulders, to see if I can step back and settle in and see what will happen if people wait until I wait till they get it. And then they step up and say, yes, this is actually what needs to happen. And I'm prepared to do what I can do in order to make it happen. So that's where I'm at right now. I'm living as a hermit nun in Colorado Springs. The community there is small, but it's growing. And there's many, many different ways that people can support if you're wanting to get involved. Simplest ways, sign up for the email list. More ways is to speak to Darcy or to Sierra about ways of actually getting involved directly. And with something like this, there's just no end of opportunities of things that need help. The board, the Awakening Truth Board, needs support with infrastructure in many different ways in order for it to come together, to become cohesive enough to be able to start doing stuff like that. Yeah? But the past is past. And so I'm not wanting to go back there only as far as much as to create context of why I'm here in the present. You know, it's done. Yeah. But I'm here. And and I am delighting that I'm here. And very curious how this is all going to unfold. You know? Remarkable. So... um. You know, so here we have a day-long retreat, which is really a kind of tiny little window. But maybe enough to just get flavors of, you know, what it might be like to have a sense of, what would it be like to have a place that is based on generosity? You know, the monasteries that I lived in, no one had to pay anything to come. For teachings, to stay, to speak to people, for community... Eventually, the retreat center was based entirely on generosity. It's not a transactional universe. It's based on a different way. How does that feel? You know? So, these are the kinds of things that, you know, when I come, you know, that's part of what you get when I come, is, is that it's a whole lifestyle rather than just a meditation instruction. Yeah. And then you can see, you know, how does it feel? What does it feel like to have contact with it? And is there an interest to be more engaged or to support more? Or does this feel good? You know, do you want more of this? What does that look like? You know? So. Questions? Possibilities? Opportunities? So I just want to spend a couple more minutes with the last guided meditation and then close with announcements. Is that all right? Yeah. So once again, coming back into body, really feeling body. Just for a moment, just dropping all the words and the conversations and the topics and just coming into a felt sense. Interest, tiredness, Achiness, aliveness, hunger, cold, warm, whatever it is. Open and receptive to what is present here. Now think of somebody that you know, that you would do anything in the whole world that you could to see that they flourish. 
they had what they needed to grow optimally. Think about how easy it would be to show up for them and help them and give them things that you have and to spend time. Now take that quality of cherishing and direct it to your own heart, your own aspiration to wake up, your own aspiration to be free of pain, of suffering, of sorrow, of sadness, confusion. Let yourself feel that level of care support, interest, kindness. And letting our own body relax into that so that our body can know what it feels like to be cared for and cherished supported and have what we need to flourish. And bringing that quality of care and kindness into all aspects of who we know ourselves to be and every part of our life. That this care and kindness embraces everything. Our past, our talents, our successes, the things that we didn't do well at, our secrets, the things that we feel ashamed of, everything without exception. There's warmth and care and kindness and interest touching everything. All parts of ourselves, all parts of who we take ourselves to be, including our deepest aspiration. sharing this quality of care and kindness with each other. Everyone here showing up, being attentive, supportive, considerate, in space, as well as in honesty, in generosity. Sharing with our teachers, our mentors, the people who hold a torch sometimes, showing a way 
sharing this with our families, our friends, our colleagues, in our workplaces. That this quality of heartfulness, of care, of interest, spreads to all of the people that we know and the people that we don't know and sinks into the earth itself, sinks into the space of this sanctuary, the earth underneath us, the mountains around us, with all beings everywhere, and including the land itself. are suffused with a kind of care, of interest, of heartfulness. That allows each to be exactly who they are and flourish. And now just taking a moment to just consider the effort that this all took. Sierra and Sean, the hours of work of preparation. Notices, emails, set up, and each of us, the effort that it took to come, icy roads, uncertain weather, and the willingness to be here together to make the effort, and the blessings of a day like today are not measured by the content of our minds, but by the potential of what we are connecting with. And that is vast. So let the blessings of our day together, the efforts that we've made, spread far and wide, nourish all beings in all directions, everywhere. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.